0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Peruvian Waltz. Uh, this this uh, episode is uh, focusing on our possible. Um, opponents in the playoff rounds and we have a guest all the way from Australia, uh, Willem van Denderen from Box to Box. Uh, Willem, how are you doing?
1: Well, Michael, thank you very much for having me.
0: No worries. I think obviously we've um, got to know a bit about each other's sides back in uh, 2018. Um, We met over in the Russian World Cup. Uh, It was a game which didn't really mean anything uh, points-wise or for progression-wise, but um, Peru came away with that 2-0 win um, in the third game of the groups. And it's interesting to mention that if Ibrus get get through, we'll be back in a pretty familiar group with France and Denmark <laughs> in the next World yes, Cup indeed. once again. How was um, the campaign in Russia seen um, from an Australian perspective from that um, from that tournament?
1: The campaign in Russia was a little bit of a a disappointment. It was a bit of a strange one considering we swapped managers just ahead of the World Cup. So we had a manager, uh, Ange Postacoglu, who took us through qualifying uh, for a variety of reasons. He decided not to continue on. He'd taken us to the 2014 World Cup where we performed really well but just couldn't quite get the points on the board in what was a really tough group against Chile, Spain and the Netherlands. So he walked ahead of the 2018 World Cup in Russia uh, and now he's gone on since to uh, have some success in Japan and now Celtic in Scotland as well. So ahead of 2018, he was replaced by a Dutchman, Bert van Marwijk, who'd taken Holland to the 2010 World Cup final. Uh, and Bert instilled pretty much a totally opposite style of play. So whereas Ange was very sort of uh, attack-minded, keep the ball, keep possession and, and go at the opposition, health leather. Van Marwijk really sort of uh, locked down the defence Uh, and we created chances but just couldn't stick the ball in the net basically so uh, we performed admirably against France we performed well against Denmark probably should have beaten Denmark on the day Uh, but by the time we got to Peru uh, as he'd had not so much time with the squad uh, he picked pretty much the same 11 for the three matches I think there was only one or two changes so by the time we faced Peru uh, and there were hopes that we could win that day uh, it was a pretty tired squad that got put out there and uh, a tight 11, I should say, uh, and Peru were magnificent, really thoroughly deserving of, of the 2-0 win on the day in Sochi. So, yeah, that World Cup scene is a little bit of a disappointment.
0: You've moved on again, I guess, um, manager-wise and things to change round again for this campaign. Um, before we go sort of into this, can you let us know a bit about why Australia are performing in the Aus- in the Asian qualifiers, just for anyone who may not be fully aware of why you're not competing with the likes of New Zealand? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so Australia's been part of the AFC since uh, about 2006. So for the 2010 World Cup uh, qualification period onwards. Prior to that, we were in the Oceanic region uh, for for years and years prior. uh, And there'd been a push for a long time to get into that Asian Confederation because, as you know, the Oceanic region only gets uh, half a spot. So New Zealand uh, playing uh, Costa Rica uh, on this occasion. So by playing in Asia, you get sort of 10 to 12 competitive matches uh, over a World Cup cycle, whereas when you're in Oceania, uh, Oceanic region, you're really only going to get one or two. Uh, and that's if you if you sort of uh, win every game and then you get to that World Cup qualifier. So I probably haven't explained that too well, uh, but it was basically a, a long-term push to make sure we were in a more competitive region, to play more competitive matches to improve, basically.
0: Yeah, so we obviously, Peru knocked out new zealand to get into that uh, world cup and that rotates round to the different the other different regions that so they play the concacaf uh, side like you say costa rica um, in their group so it's a, it's a way to try and improve the uh, improve the game i guess against stronger opposition more regularly um, yeah. and have that chance to go through so how has uh, how has this uh, year's campaign gone for you obviously going into this playoffs um with the manager changes and things like that, how has how has it been as a fan?
1: It's been it's been fascinating. It's been sort of a little bit topsy turvy and lopsided. So Graham Arnold uh, has been the coach since the end of that 2018 World Cup. So we've had him for the entire cycle. Uh, he's a guy who's been in and around the Australian national team uh, for many years. He was. Uh, coach, the the head coach fleetingly uh, in 2007. He was the assistant coach when the Socceroos qualified for the World Cup for the first time in 32 years in 2005 and then went on to Germany in 2006 and made it out of the groups. Uh, He's also had a lot of success in our A-League, in our domestic uh, men's competition with Sydney FC and Central Coast Mariners. So he's done his time uh, and he's graduated to this senior role now. Uh, But having been in the Socceroos job, it has been a little bit of a strange one. So where the Asian qualifiers differ from the from the South American ones is you guys have the 10 sides and you'll go into a big pot and you play each other home and away. The Asian one's done in phases. Uh, so we have Australia enters what's called the second phase of Asian qualifying. There we're in a group of five and we play four sides who with respect are probably still developing. They're in the sort of lower reaches uh, of, of FIFA rankings, if you like. So we had Jordan, Kuwait, uh, Nepal and Chinese Taipei, uh, and we won all eight of those matches. Uh, then we move into what's called the third phase of qualifying, where you come against tougher opposition. So Japan, Saudi Arabia. We also had Vietnam, China and Oman. So we won all eight of the second round. We won the first three of the third round. We actually won 11 games in a row, which was a FIFA world record. No side had ever won oh, wow. uh, 11 consecutive World yeah. Cup qualifiers. Uh, so there was a lot of goodwill and a lot of sort of positivity around the, uh, around the campaign to that point. But sort of more critical observers were playing, saying, well, this team's actually not playing that well. Uh, it was sort of a little bit of a false... A little bit of a false um, signal, if you like. So then from the final seven games, when we played Japan twice and Saudi Arabia twice, uh, they actually picked up just a further six points uh, from seven games. So that's why we find ourselves in this position of having to go through the qualifiers. Uh, and the wheels have well and truly fallen off in terms of, um, in terms of style, in terms of structure, in terms of Um, personnel. We've had, as with all teams around the world, we've had a lot of sort of COVID disruptions, uh, a few injuries as well. Uh, And yeah, morale seems at an all-time low. Uh, Players have been sort of turning down call-ups to an extent. Um, One particular example, Curtis Good sort of didn't seem too keen to go. So there's murmurings that yeah, maybe Arnold's lost the players. uh, And yeah, it, it certainly seems like this team under him is sort of out of ideas, out of juice. Uh, and there was some hope that maybe Football Australia would make a change and look to bring in another short-term manager. Uh, obviously, I don't speak for everyone here, but certainly a large portion of the public have sort of think that Arnold's maybe run his course. Uh, there was some hope that maybe they'd change things ahead of this match against the UAE. Uh, and if we win that, the match against Peru. Uh, but the Federation have backed him in and said he'll be standing out his contract, um, win or lose. So, yep, we, we've still got him.
0: Uh, okay. Um, you say that like, you've had a lot of changes around for Peru. We've got a, quite a similar squad uh, to what went to Russia, um, sort of ageing a little bit. Um, some players have obviously had to come in. Like um, the goal, one of the goal scorers, Guerrero, has been a, a bit of a hero here in Peru's injuries and uh, age. Of I remember him, him well, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so new players. but I mean, Lapadula's come in. He's 31. So we've got sort of a... Yeah, relatively similar, similar group um, coming into this this um, playoff. So is the Australian group has changed quite a lot then since the Russia World Cup, or is there still that same core?
1: The same core is there. What they haven't been able to replace is we had uh, two guys, who one of them who played at the centre of midfield that day in Sochi, Mila Yedinak, the, the bearded guy, the captain, yeah. <laughs> uh, and a guy who played at centre-back that day, Mark Milligan um and Milligan also throughout his career played a lot of time at um in the center of defense uh sorry in the center of midfield uh, a very versatile player so those two guys added real bite and steel in the center of midfield um and Arnold hasn't been able to find a replacement he sort of tried to craft uh a midfield with more attacking players sort of dropping deep so Aaron Moy you might recall played that day uh the Tom Rogic is a number ten who's sort of been revitalised. Funnily enough, under Ange Postecoglou at Celtic, uh, Jackson Irvine's there as well. He played in Russia, but they haven't been able to find that real sort of strong leader in the centre of midfield. And as a result, that's put pressure on the defence, uh, which is still rather similar. Trent Sainsbury played in uh, in Russia as is Bayich. Matt Ryan, the goalkeeper, still there, um, and then other sort of senior players, Matt Matthew Lecky. Uh, is, is still there as well. Tim Cahill, who was in the sort of final throes of his international career and came off the bench late against, uh, against Peru at the World Cup in 2018. He also is obviously no longer still playing and they haven't quite replaced the sort of, sort of talismanic, um, emotional leader uh, that he was. So the core of the group from, Ru- from Russia is still there, uh, but yeah, uh, really lacking someone to step into that Millet Yedinak uh, and Mark Milligan sort of leadership role uh, in the center of defense, I'd say. Uh,
0: yeah. Oh, excuse so, me, center of midfield. Center of of effect, yeah. No worries. yeah. So we it sounds like, I mean, for Peru it's been difficult. We've been looking out at players from with dual nationality like Lapadula coming in because the league here isn't isn't considered particularly strong around South America. Mm-hmm. Um has that has the has the A League's um performances with, from the clubs especially in their academies has this affected what um, the national team can look at to come through um, to replace these stars like so Tim cahill and yeah kind of these players are you creating the players that can that will be able to take those take their places
1: there is certainly a lot of discussion that the leagues aren't producing the players of the quality of certainly that two thousand and six team, which is just adored in Australian football. We call them our golden generation. Uh, Mark Verduka, Harry Kuehl, Tim Cahill, uh, these sort of global names that sort of still hold such weight years on. So we're probably not producing players of that standard. I personally still think there's enough quality coming through uh, and there's still enough, you know, half-decent players heading overseas each year. Uh, Riley McGree, uh, Aiden Rustich is a guy at Eintracht Frankfurt who's just made it through to the last four of the, uh, the Europa League and is frequently playing sort of Bundesliga minutes against uh, Bayern Munich. So I still think there's quality players coming through, but this squad now, uh, in terms of the way Arnold selected, selected them, very much seems sort of caught in between. Uh, he's, he's backing the older players pretty much the whole way. Uh, and now in the final two matches we played against Japan at home in Sydney and Saudi Arabia, those matches were just last month. Uh, COVID nineteen ruled out a lot of those older key dudes, and um, chances were thrown to the likes of Marco Tillio, who's a young guy who's come through the A League through Melbourne City. Uh, he certainly looks the uh, the goods going forward. Uh, Connor Metcalf, Gianni Stensness, uh, Metcalf in particular is a young guy who played in the center of uh, sort of a defensive midfield role. He's come through the A League and he's signed up to go to St Pauli next season in Germany. Uh, And they look a good thing for promotion to the Bundesliga. Uh, So the the players are there, but they're playing their first, second or third international matches at the very pointy end of qualification. Uh, So maybe these guys needed to come in six months, a year ago, Uh, rather than at the very pointy end. So the talent's there, but probably not seasoned enough at an international standard to make an impact uh, at this World Cup should we make it through these two very, very difficult qualifiers. And I should mention, uh, we speak about playing Peru. We have to play the UAE as well, who are a very formidable opponent. And they actually knocked us out of the 2019 Asian Cup. Uh, So the two sides that have knocked us out of our most recent uh, big tournaments, if you like, the 2018 World Cup and 2019 Asian Cup are now on our path to Russia. So you could see that as uh, you could see that as a chance for some revenge and to set some scores, but you could also see it as a chance of, well, these are the two sides that have been too good for us lately. So uh, yeah, you could, you could take that either way, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that was uh, going to be one of my next questions about what were what are you um, uh, what are you expecting from the UAE and what should uh, sort of Peruvian football fans be expecting from both those sides and that game. Um, when we go when we come to watch that to see who will be our eventual opponent.
1: The UAE, uh I think they've got a striker called Ali Mabkoot. He's uh he's been around for a long time. He's his lethal. I think he scored the most goals of any player in FIFA World Cup qualifying across this entire uh across this entire Russian qualification uh, excuse me, Russian um Qatari qualification period. I think he scored 14 goals for the UAE. Oh, so okay. I think for them It's very much a case of shut him down uh, and you'll shut the entire side down. Um, But they're a good side. They've got some crafty players. They're a little bit of an unknown, uh, as with many sort of sides in that Middle Eastern region, because the money and the lifestyle within their domestic leagues is so good. uh, Perhaps the desire to push abroad that so much of the rest of the world sees Uh, as sort of central to a player having success. You know, Europe is very much the sort of epicentre of world football. Every young player across the world wants to get there. But for the Middle Eastern nations, it's just not the case. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it is. So as a result, we don't know so much about these guys. Uh, They're not the household names outside of their own country uh, that they might be uh, if they had their talent elsewhere. So they're a little bit of an unknown, but I think definitely Ali Mabkut stands as the, the sort of player you want to shut down. Uh, if it is them who who meets Peru, uh,
0: okay. So we're quite a um, counter-attacking side. Where we found our best, our best form um, came up against. What really pushed us through was a uh, in, uh, into this fifth place was uh, a one 0 win over Colombia with a very late, um, a very late goal after almost complete domination by uh, Colombia. And, Having gone on, I think that was their seventh game without scoring, despite having sort of almost like almost around 20 odd shots on goal. And um, we'll look for that counter-attacking break, and we'll try and find those ways of um, bringing out an attack to come and get us, um, and then picking on that. Is that something that you that you feel um, is the way that Australia and the UAE will play? Are they both? Are you? Are you and them both sides that want to come out and? Are, Attack a game, or are you similar to us and want to be counter-attacking?
1: I'm going to be really, really critical here, and people might listen in and think this is unfair, but I don't think this current Graham Arnold side really has a particular clue of how they want to play. There's no, <laughs> okay. there's no, um, there's no embedded or ingrained system of attack. Uh, a couple of the critical points that we dropped in World Cup qualification uh, were against uh, Oman in Oman, a match that we should have expected to win and twice uh, we found ourselves up and on two occasions they equalised and we needed to, to find a winner uh, and it's very much a case of throw your individuals out there and see what they can do, there's no sort of uh, ingrained pattern or, or style of, of chasing a goal uh, that, that the side follows and this seems to have gotten worse as it's, as it's gone along uh, I think the soccer is certainly susceptible to a counter-attack counter if Peru want to play that way, uh, particularly without that real sort of grunt uh, at the uh, at the base of midfield. Um, and that has proven an issue against sides like Oman and, and China who do play on the counter-attack Uh in, in Asia, given that we sort of dominate possession against those sides. But, uh, for example, that China result, they, uh, they hardly saw the ball. We scored, it. We, you know, we scored one goal, couldn't, couldn't sort of capitalise on a second. They went up the other end, didn't actually have a shot on goal, but drew a penalty, and that was that. So soccer is certainly susceptible uh, to a counterattack. Uh, the UAE, I, I'm not so sure as to their particular style of play, as during this um, qualification period, they've been in the other group uh, so Asia in the final stage is split into the two groups. So I haven't seen a, a great deal of them uh, over the last uh, over the last couple of years.
0: No, yeah, well, I have to see see how um, things go. Is it going to be um, for for the winner of your game to play Peru? Going out, it's not going to be that two legged affair from country to country. It's going to be this one off game. Um, do you feel that um, from an Australian side? Do you feel more comfortable with that knowing that it's just a one-off and it's it's almost a cup final rather than having to manage these two legs
1: 100 100 (laughs) um some of the most famous nights in soccer's history have been uh these two-legged world cup qualifying uh legs and i say that as we were speaking about earlier because we were part of the oceanic region this is what it was all about you'd play your four years of qualifiers to make sure that you could just get that chance to play the uh the two-legged uh, qualifier and the 2005 uh, double header against Uruguay was still to this day it is, is the most famous sort of moment in Australian football history when we uh, broke the 32 year drought to get to that Germany World Cup. Uh, four years ago under Postacoglu, we had to go through this as well. We uh, played Honduras uh, and there was a lot of sort of angst and frustration and uh, sort of I guess from the public's point of view fear that uh, that Honduras would roll us. Uh, we went over to, is it Sao Pedro Paulo I think, and had a, had a nil-all draw there uh, and then came home to Sydney and fortunately got up 3-0. Uh, so that was, uh, that was not so difficult in the end. But, uh, yeah, on this occasion, certainly don't want to be uh, going through the two legs. And I think the fact that they're on neutral territory as well uh, also probably helps Australia. I mean, you only need, you only need one goal on two occasions uh, and you'll be through, I think, if we had to, uh, if we had to head to Peru. Uh, we'd find
0: ourselves out of our depth yeah possibly it's difficult i mean, when Peru we went over to uh new zealand as well it's over those two legs it can almost feel a prolonged sort of agony so there's lots more tension throughout the games um whereas going into this it will be um yeah this one-off uh, all or nothing sort of tie um, as, a, as a as a nation um, for peru with not not particularly aside with these standout flare players we do have um, christian quaver um, and andre Carrillo who both play out in the middle east who are sort of flare players and very very exciting on the ball very great um they formed a fantastic partnership with Lapadula up front our midfield and our defense are incredibly hardworking um but you you wouldn't pick out too many individuals probably other than Quaver and Lapadula and um, Carrillo who are the who are the particular dangers in this um, Australia side that um, Peruvian fans should be um, should be checking out for the um, should we go on to play
1: yep the player who's standing out head and shoulders above the rest at the moment is Tom Rogic who plays for Celtic Uh, he's been there for over 10 years now but he's sort of He's had injury issues throughout his career, so he's sort of uh, he sort of dipped in and out. He missed the 2014 World Cup for the Socceroos when he was a, a real young, a young star, unfortunately, through injury. He got there for the 2018 World Cup and, and sort of went okay. But under former national manager um Poster he has had a, a serious rise once again this season for Celtic and they're they're back challenging for a whole bunch of domestic honors. He'll play in the number 10 position. Um and at his best, he is he's extraordinary. Um he Tore apart Vietnam at uh, Amy Park in Melbourne, where I live, um, in late January. Um, and he could beat the UAE on his own if Arnold could sort of craft a system that, uh, that plays to his strengths. Uh, Peru, probably a different matter. But yeah, Rogic certainly stands out uh, as, the, as the one for Australia at this point in time who's in the form to, to get us there. He's, uh, he's sort of a tall, sort of smooth-moving left-footer who, who scores goals. Um, he's got a, a thunderous shot on him, but he's also got a sort of deft touch to sort of open up and pick a pass and lay one on for someone else. So, uh, yeah, he's the one at the moment who you'd, you'd want to be shutting down from an opposition perspective. Iden Rustic is, a, hes well, we call him a young guy, but he's 25 now. Um, he's come into the national team over the past couple of years. He's at Eintracht Frankfurt, as I said, and he plays in a sort of similar mould to Rogic. Arnold hasn't been able to quite get the two of them to play in um, a system together and get the best out of each other. As yet, but he's another one who um, is probably one of our best uh, best creative threats at, at this point in time. Uh,
0: be a handful for Renato Tapia in the middle. Then our defensive midfielder has been there. Uh, it's been vital for us in getting through with some um, some fantastic displays. So, there will be uh, definitely some players for him to be uh, watching out on. And another another busy day. <laughs> um, no. Another busy day for him. So, what um, for Peruvian football we've had. Um, uh, Manager Ricardo Gareca has recently been sort of commenting on the state of sport in the country um, and how there's not as, too much commitment going into the development of these young players um, going forward. And he's got his concerns as to not just in football, but how sport is that, um, how sport is organised here and the progression of it. Um, should um, should Peru qualify or should they not? Uh, From an Australian point of view, um, what is the thought process of should should you not make it through to this World Cup? Where does this leave Australian football? Are you in a great place to be competing for? um, Possibly from what you've been mentioning about the manager, maybe not. Once those changes have been made, are you in a? Do you do you still feel confident about about where Australian football's going?
1: Uh, certainly, in terms of the women's game, which has uh, which has gone from strength to thr- uh, strength to strength, out our national women's team, the Matildas, uh, they've hit a little bit of a wobble lately, but they're certainly uh, one of the most Australia uh, one of the most popular Australian sporting teams. And we're hosting the World Cup uh, alongside New Zealand next year in twenty twenty three. So there's an enormous amount of excitement around hosting hosting a World Cup. Basically, uh, there's a little bit of trepidation now around whether the team are going to perform and deliver. I mean. There's expectations that they actually win the whole thing, uh, which may be a little bit unfounded, but there's certainly an expectation that they win the whole thing. Um, the men's game has some serious issues. Uh, and if the Socceroos would to miss the World Cup, there's a real fear that from the, not not the rusted on diehard you know, lifelong football fans, but from the sort of general observers that if the Socceroos would have missed the World Cup, the men's competition, the A-League would lose and slide sort of into even further irrelevance, uh, remembering in Australia that we've got uh, only 25 million people, but really six sports uh, competing for for attention, for uh, government funding. So we've got um, Australian rules football, which is probably the biggest sport here, particularly in the southern states. We've got rugby league in the northern states, New South Wales and Queensland. We've got rugby union as well, which is played in a lot of the private schools. We've got football, which is you know soccer here, soccer football. We've got cricket as well, which is sort of uh, the the baseball equivalent summer pastime. So it's really only the United States that houses and, and hosts as many sports, but they've got how many people? Yeah, uh, whereas we yeah. just don't have that. So code wars, if you like, is a, is a huge thing in Australia. Everyone's competing for a very small... Uh, you know, everyone's trying to slice up the pie and we just don't have that many people and we have so many sports. So I personally see it as a, as a reason for, um, for immense pride, but for a lot of people, it, it's a reason to, to fight and bicker and to complain that, you know, this sport's not going anywhere. This sport's not, you know, this sport, you know, why aren't we getting this? Why can't we get funding to build facilities? So um, Australian football at the moment is yeah not in a particularly good spot, particularly in terms of the men's game. Um it, it's a funny one as well because it's comfortably uh, the sport with the most participation at junior levels. Uh, but every kid out there playing on the street follows Manchester United or Barcelona or, or Real Madrid. They're not following uh, necessarily Melbourne Victory or Sydney FC or Melbourne City. They don't have that connection to the, uh, the local A-League club. Uh, because it's it's so readily available to watch the Premier League on TV or to, to watch the Champions League uh, so there's a disconnect between kids kicking a ball on the street and kids uh, asking their parents to take them to a game buy the local strip and invest it in the uh, in the local competition so uh, the soccer is making the world cup every year for the last four years uh, really has always provided a sort of regenerative burst of Australian uh, football back on the uh, the nas- back into the national psyche, if you like. So there's yeah, there's, there's real concerns that if we miss it this time, which which looks likely, uh, that we're going to be sort of set back a, a good little while.
0: Yeah, I was, I was looking at sort of like the sort of average attendances across the A League, and you have these peaks, obviously every four years, but it has been sort of dropping off each year. Like pre-pandemic, obviously we can take that off. Um, out of yep. consideration, um, but it had been dropping for sort of about around a decades. Like the attendance is there, I guess. For a lot of our listeners, we have in the US, it has they've got the MLS. Um, there's no obviously there's no relegation, which is not in the A League. Uh, I was reading beforehand, sort of some of the ex pros in Australia shouting for a second division so that there's a bit more um, commitment needed from other players. Does it seem, has the league? Struggled in how it's branding itself and how it's incentivizing its clubs to a degree, then um, over there and how to perform.
1: It's it's at a fascinating juncture. So up until this season, uh, and we're nearing the end of this season, the A League had been run by uh, Football Federation Australia, so by the actual federation, uh, which also has to run uh, things like national teams, growth of the game, um, and for a long time, the A League clubs campaigned and and argued to be able to run it themselves. Um, They said with, you know, with, with our resources, we can focus on just ourselves and we can market it differently. We can, uh, we can promote it. We can organize it. We can add sort of things here and there. Um, And it took them three or four years to actually gain that independence. Uh, So there was a lot of sort of excitement, if you like, um, around what the league could do um, now that it's run independently by its clubs uh, and, this first season's been nothing short of a disaster really um, the broadcast agreement that they agreed with the new with the new broadcast partner um, the there's also been a lot of um, there's been a lot of midweek matches as well given the the sort of fixture backup because of the pandemic yeah um, so that doesn't help either I mean that makes it really hard for families to go out on a Wednesday night and to sort of then back up on a Saturday. so that's really sort of torched uh, a lot of a lot of the attendances. Um, but yeah, they, I think they're starting to realise now the league, just how much they've bitten off and they've got a lot of work to do uh, to, to recapture a lot of the people who are now really sort of frustrated and, and yeah, really turned off by, by how it's uh, by how it's sort of gone in the first season under, under their, their reign in terms of the second division. Uh, that is a, a 20 to 30 year um, argument that does sort of seem to be reaching ahead at the moment. There's there's always factions and groups sort of building to uh, to have their say in Australian football. And there's a group called the AAFC, the Association of Australian Professional Clubs. And they've sort of gathered up all the second tier um, state league sides uh, and they're, they're making another run at it. The interesting thing. In my opinion, one of the most fascinating and interesting things about Australian football is we've got the two eras. So we had a a national, it was the National Soccer League from 1977 till about 2003, 2004. uh, And that was comprised of all the sides who had, strong and proud links to the migrant communities who had basically come and, and populated australia um post-world war ii so we're talking teams with names such as south melbourne Hellas, um, melbourne croatia sydney croatia um, and that reached a point where there was enough sort of uh you want to choose your words carefully but enough sort of ethnic tension and enough frustration that um, it really sort of hardened and closed itself off to mainstream Australia. I mean, there's a sort of ugly terms, but it reached a point where it was no longer um, feasible to move into the sort of what we have now as a sort of, uh, what, am I looking, what am I looking to say? Um, like a, a commercial age. It wasn't going to draw broadcast money. It wasn't going to draw commercial sponsors from outside the game. So they, they cut the league, basically. They just stopped it. Um, okay. And they, but they wound it up, and then they started what is the A League, and all of the A League sides uh, didn't have any ethnic names, they didn't have any flags, they didn't have any links. They just wanted people to come off the street and just to be a side, uh, just to be a side for everyone. Basically, it didn't matter where you came from, um, and that absolutely had its merits, and that's been really, really good to an extent as well. Um, but it left all of those old clubs who had been sort of surviving and thriving since the, the 50s and 60s and 70s, just out in the cold, um, growing increasingly sort of bitter and, and twisted and disappointed uh, that, they, that they couldn't, that were no longer a part of it. Like we basically, we'd, we'd thrown out a lot of the bad stuff, but there was a lot of the good stuff, a lot of the heart and soul of actual football clubs existed within those clubs. So um, they've been sitting on the sidelines competing in the state competitions for the sort of 20 years since. Um, and now it seems like there's a, a, a gentle sort of slowly, slowly massaging of the two cultures together. Uh, and as will happen when that happens, there's still a lot of sort of a fighting and, and a lot of sort of um, it's not going to be a smooth process. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully slowly, slowly we can integrate those clubs back in because the A-League has gone stale, uh, particularly with no promotion and relegation. It's just the same, the same sides uh going around each year so if we could inject a couple of those uh a couple of those older fan bases back into the game it'd be interesting but there's always competing interest there's always um you know there's contracts the only league clubs hold that say they will be in the top division for x amount of years so there's a lot of a lot of factors to be considered uh uh yeah that, that's where we're at basically <laughs> yeah
0: okay so looking um uh, going back to going back to this uae game um is this uh, coming up? How? What are your um, predictions for how it's going to go? How are you? What What are you hoping for from uh, from this from this playoff game?
1: I hope we will beat UAE. Yeah. <laughs> I hope, and that's not to disrespect the UAE, but um, it'll be yeah, it'll be very disappointing to not even clear the first hurdle, um, and then you give yourself a chance against Peru, who are I think I think everyone accepts they're the better side. Uh, Sochi twenty eighteen is fresh in the mind, just how much better they looked. Uh, than Australia so um, but as we said it is, it is a one offer uh, it's on mutual territory so you just never know so I, I should hope we beat the UAE uh, and then you just never know.
0: Yeah well we'll, um, we'll have to see we're eagerly anticipating it's a long a long old time between the end of our qualifiers to then eventually find out <laughs> who we're playing in this playoff.
1: Um, and interestingly uh, the, the South American qualifiers you still have a match to be played.
0: We're all done. We're all done. Oh, sorry. There's Brazil and Argentina still to go, and after that's going their, to be played uh... at
1: the MCG in Melbourne. Oh, is it?
0: Oh, I didn't. It see is. That. Yeah. So, oh, it's definitely needed. Um, like we could see, it wasn't going to be just um, back over here. So it's 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 almost meaningless um, towards the group. So uh, it was something very uh, good to get out commercially, and uh, it'll yeah. be great to see. Um, whereabouts? So, so where is that in Melbourne? The uh, game or?
1: That's going to be in Melbourne. That's going to be at yeah. our uh, at our Melbourne Cricket Ground, which hosts or holds 100,000. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. That they're going to have to market a match that actually means something. It's not a friendly. It is a World Cup qualifier, yeah. but it is also a dead rubber, as you say. It doesn't yeah. have bearing on the group. Uh, the, the qualifiers have all qualified. Brazil and Argentina obviously finished top of the group. So uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. but as you know the pull of a a Neymar and a Lionel Messi if those guys do come I mean apparently there's been guarantees given to the organisers that the big names will come Uh, those guys pull fans all over the world so we'll we'll see how we go.
0: Exactly and um, even if it doesn't maybe affect which position they'll be uh, finishing in the group there's uh, a lot of pride and a lot of rivalry between the two sides so neither will be be taking this lightly um, as, as you can very much imagine and yeah, it'd be uh, great for the uh, fans and hopefully great for uh, pulling some extra, extra fans back in and get them more interested uh, back into soccer rather than uh, drifting away to some of the other
1: sports for you. That's it, that's it.
0: <laughs> well, thanks very much for chatting with us. Can you let, uh, let our listeners know where we can find uh, you on social media and um, be listening to, tell us a bit about your podcast as well?
1: Yeah, you can find me. I don't actually know what my name is. I'm W underscore and three. I'm sure you'll maybe take that in with uh, with the post you put out. But no, <laughs> our program, our program's box to box. Um, we basically it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a line, but we sort of go from one end of the pitch to the other, if you like. So we cover Australian stuff. We cover um, as you could maybe tell from the chat that we've just had a lot of the political stuff in the Australian game. Uh, we also cover. Um, you know all the big European leagues, big focus on women's football. Obviously, that's that's uh that's ever growing and particularly important in Australia at the moment, given we're hosting that World Cup. Um, we have a lot of guests on from the athletic in the UK to cover a lot of the sort of English stuff. Um, we have uh, a whole range of a whole range of guests on, uh, a couple of guests to show. We put one out every single week, so there's uh there's good consistency to it. Um, and yeah, tune in and give us a listen, and then there's sort of Sort of articles off the back of it, and sort of do the rounds on on social media. So yeah, it's a good show. It's been going for I think uh, it's been going since 2015. I came on board in 2018 off the back of that uh, off the back of that World Cup. So uh, yeah, give us a listen, box to box NTS. You can find us on on Twitter.
0: Brilliant, thanks very much, and um, hopefully we'll um, get to uh, speak with you again, possibly um, as we get closer to the games, especially if um, if you guys can uh, get over the. UAE hurdle first and uh if we're playing together again we'll have to preview the game uh together
1: 100% no look i really do hope we clear that first hurdle and <laughs> uh and that we can uh we can chat again michael thank you very much
0: thanks very so much boiler robuños en el arco la defensa es <laughs> colosal gonzales hernando la torre nicolas fuentes echumpitas chale mi friñ y cubillas y el gran fericoleón bailón y alberto gallardo complete la selección